you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the once-in-future official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com and still the number one strategy game-focused podcast on the internet. I am your host and founder and favorite person, Troy Goodfellow, here on episode 251 to welcome you to what was supposed to be another episode in our winter of wargaming, uh, but Rob Zachney is uh, handling that schedule and the organization and planning for that, and he's just not feeling that well. So we missed last week, and this week I know we couldn't uh, go another week without a podcast, even if it's going to be late. So we decided to bring in three very intelligent journalists to talk about the new hotness in City Builders, the recently released Banished from uh, Shining Rock Software. It's a game that I've put quite a few hours in, and one that I mentioned uh, in an early show this year as a city builder I was high, greatly looking forward to, and now we've all had a chance to play it. So with us, we have two new vo- one new voice and two veteran voices to the podcast. I'd like to welcome freelance writer Rowan Kaiser. Hello. The editor-in-chief of The Escapist, our old and dear friend Greg Tito. Hello, how's everybody doing? And freelance writer who reviewed the game for U.S. Gamer, a uh, new voice to our podcast, and I hope someone who will be uh, back more often, the content editor for <laughs> U.S. Gamer, Cassandra Ka. Hello. So we're going to talk about Banished. Uh, it is a very brown city builder. <laughs> and green. And green. It's very brown and green. It's little flecks of gray in it. Uh, that's one of my first reactions to how brown it was. So I want to start with you, Cassandra, since you're new. You're the rookie, so we'll get you uh, going. Uh, why don't we want to explain what Banished is and how it differs from other uh, city builders you've played? It has more pedophiles, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Banished is weird. It feels like a zen garden mixed with an ant farm to me. It's slow-paced. Mixed up with brief moments of extreme panic when you realize you're out of stone and out of food and suddenly everyone's dead in the quarry for no reason whatsoever. But mostly, it's a game with a lot of pedophiles. you got to watch those moments. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about that because you used pedophile there twice. And certainly the age thing is something that's quite striking uh, in uh, the game. Rowan, do you want to explain that to us, what she means by pedophiles <laughs> in Banished? <laughs> Not that I'm saying you have pedophile experience, but you are in, you know, you're in the Bay Area and uh, Fox News says you're all perverts. So. <laughs> that That's a good save there, Troy. Um in order to like get families going, the game basically moves two people of opposite genders into new houses that you build, and uh, it believes that children become mature when they hit, I think it's 10, it might be 11 or 12. It's 10. So mm-hmm. It's 10. So it immediately will move people in at age 10 or 11 of whatever gender, and uh, they might be paired up with someone who... Uh, is not at that age so all of a sudden you find like you might find a lone 11 year old living in a house by herself and then all of a sudden she is she has a kid with a 29 year old man or some various combination the the numbers the numbers end up being semi-randomized in a way that has a sort of creepy manifestation uh one of the ways that you Mm -hmm. can get around that is that you if you build a school the kids take till like 16 to mature so uh if they're in school then they're less likely to be pedophile targets (laughs) 
stay in school, <laughs> says Greg. That's the lesson Greg. of the day. Uh, so, Greg, uh, a... Cassandra used the term ant farm game, and this is a term that I've used a lot in city builders. I mean, it's certain I look at city builders as ant farms. Uh, my ex-wife referred to them as ant farm games, just certainly quite apt here. Uh, did you find it interesting to watch the ants go about and do their task? Or is there anything that people should know about the game before we move into any further detail on it? Um, you know, I think ant farm is actually pretty apt. I mean, it- I spent most of my time playing the game at the highest speed possible, which is uh, 10 times like normal speed. Uh, and at that speed, especially when you get um, to bigger population towns, uh, the people running around, are it, it's very abstract. They just are going in all kinds of different directions, going about their business. Um, and very much looks like, you know, what it looks like when you shake up an ant farm and watch them all freak out. Not that I ever did that. I I totally did that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think the game is interesting because you're not really actively doing anything in the the simulation. You're not building things. You're asking the uh, your 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 workers to build them. So in different, you know, it's very different than SimCity where you plop, you know, something and it builds and then that, you know that it feels like you're a very much an active part of the world but in, in banished you you basically say i'm going to plan to put this thing here and then your your uh townsfolk have to build it for you and then you end up with these problems of of supply and demand and not having the resources that you need and it becomes a, a, a balancing act and that's the most fun that i had with the game was uh you know feeling like i had all of these different resource numbers going up and down and somehow i was riding the wave uh and my town was growing and that was a really good positive feeling. I think that was kind of the joy of the game for me. Uh, one of the things that I think is very worth mentioning is that uh, Banished is very clean in terms of interface. It's uh, You only need to have one tiny bar at the bottom of the screen, and then you can add and subtract whatever... Uh, uh, windows that you want to have open like I usually had the uh, general overall town supply window open and the minimap and the labor market window open but sometimes I would just turn them all off and just watch the townsfolk go about their business for a while and, uh, did, you, uh, did you zoom in Rowan? Did you ever zoom in to watch them on a more like personal level? Occasionally but not terribly often uh I, it's more just like, as you say, the turning it up to the high speeds and watching them zoom around. Um, yesterday I was recording some video for a video review and I decided to take my largest town and uh, like set it to like 30 laborers and cut down like an entire screen of forest and I just watched them like converge on it and just wipe out the forest in like 30 seconds and that was uh, pretty entertaining I thought. But yeah, there's a there's a sort of feeling to banish that what it wants you to see is just what's happening. It doesn't like bombard you with pop-ups. It doesn't have like these big overlays that come up. There's just what's happening and the rhythms of the game as it progresses. I kind of wish it did bombard you with a little bit more stuff. <laughs> like I spent a lot of time staring at the individual characters, mostly because I was horrified by that one family. I wanted to know what everyone else was doing. But the characters, they kind of clip into buildings, they kind of walk through things. If you're really paying attention to what's going on on the micro, 
kind of loses their personality a little bit. Like, I don't feel any affection for my population. If people died, it was more of a case of, hmm, do I have enough people to gather food this winter? I do? Okay, fine. I don't care about who died. I just need a bigger graveyard. That's, that's true, but I think that's, I don't know, for me, that's generally the case in any city builder, even if they have the or citizens with names, um, your Tropicos or your, uh, your the old Impressions games. Like, I never really felt connected to any particular character. Uh, they, they were generally just numbers. And I feel it's different from The Sims in that case. You know, like The Sims, you kind yeah. of got more of a story and a, uh, a connection to the family that you were controlling or the multiple families and you know the, how they were connected was important but i didn't feel that with banished at all i think you're right because let's face it they're gonna die <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to unpack here that little bit of stuff so let's start uh, the whole the the casualty rate is certainly uh, something we should talk about but i want to start by talking about something rowan mentioned with his you know 30 laborers going and you know wiping out a forest uh that is uh the resource system and uh the kind of the environmental stuff that's kind of underneath the surface here because this is a game that you cut down trees and then you've got to plant them again this is uh kind of a model like the old settlers games where you cut down a forest but you you can easily wipe out that forest if somebody isn't there to plant it but your guys will these trees take a long time to grow so you can have a couple of foresters out there wiping out a forest and just not replacing it in time, and then you're stuck for wood unless you buy it. And then there's the iron and stone at the top, and once you run out of that top-level stuff, you need labor-intensive mines and quarries, and it becomes kind of this Jamestown sim, where you're always fighting the, God, do I have enough food, for one thing, like they're poor settlers at Jamestown, and second, how much can I squeeze out of this environment before I have to rely on other people because I just don't have enough people to fill the mines yet. How did you guys find that balance of the early resource gathering before you get to the nomad intensive slave labor you end up importing? <laughs> I personally loved the, the, the resource game um, because it was this balancing act that you have, the player has to, to uh, perfect in order to have the town survive. I mean, if the, the, the real consequence and, and great teacher in how to play this game is that if you if you if there is a big enough imbalance all everybody in your in your town will die you know and it will and it can happen very quickly especially on the early, the early stages uh so mm-hmm. i love that i love the, the being able to um plan ahead on how i was going to farm uh the trees uh you know uh, you know initially you're cutting them down in order to make space for houses in order to have firewood in order to have your you know, initial families survive the first winter, uh, but then you need to be future thinking. You need to be like, all right, well, I'm going to leave this forest alone and have my foresters, uh, which is a, a specific building that you build that not only harvests trees, but also um, plants new trees. Uh, so it kind of increases the, the turnover in the amount of um, wood, the logs that you're able to get. Um, you know, and then by but the it's end also, of it, when you have. It's also really labor intensive. Yes. Um, right, it the, takes the, four foresters to to man one building, and that it's probably not enough wood for any decent sized town just from one forester. So exactly, so uh, I like being able to plan that all out. There. 
and then being like, all right, I only have so much, you know, wood and stone and iron in order to survive for two more years. So I need to have a quarry working before that all happens. So, I mean, I love that, that balance. I thought that was a really, I mean, that, that to me was the fun of the game. It was not, you know, all the other stuff that, that, that goes on in city builders. It was making that, that happen. There's there's an interesting component of it where there's sort of a race against time in the initial phase where you have to try and get a, not, a large enough town to be able to support a mine and a quarry before you run out of the local iron and stone. Um, which is interesting because there's like no timer in the game other than the rhythm of the seasons changing. Uh, but there is a sort of strategic timer there. And the rhythm of the seasons is kind of abstract because it doesn't have a. There's no calendar telling you what time it is. You well, just they have are to, the visuals. Yeah, you're relying. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're you're, you're you're relying on the visuals. You're relying on. Okay, it's raining now. Here's the snow. And but if you move your farmers too late onto the farm in the spring, you might not get that hundred percent yield you need. Um, there's this entire timing uh, of the game with really clues into the rhythm. And you did you did you dig that, Cassandra? Well, sort of. But my problem banished was the fact that I felt it was a little bit too easy after the fifth year. Once you have a basic core, everything just kind of progresses along like a screensaver. You found it too easy after a while. Yes, and I was playing on hard mode, so I'm not sure if my version of the game was work or not. <laughs> Cassandra, the most difficult time in the game is that first five years. And then once you're able to do that, it's generally gravy. Unless you do something, unless a disaster happens or you, you know, have a huge imbalance in in nomads coming in and eating up all your food and taking all your warm coats and eating all, you know, using all your tools. But even then you can bounce back generally. This actually proved to be a fairly big problem for me because I had finished my review. I was going to go in and record a video review. And uh, then all of a sudden I start talking. I started a new game and it was absurdly easy. I like after five years, I had 7,000 food in the bank and I had like 50 people. Um, And then I started talking to people, including Cassandra and then Greg, and asked them if they felt that it was easy. And they said yes, especially Cassandra, who only really did one town. And then I asked the developer, and I said, did something change in like the three weeks since you sent the press copy? Because this is, the difficulty seems to vary pretty wildly. And he said that no, nothing had changed uh, in terms of the simulation. And then I see that Rock Paper Shotgun put out a review where they said that it was way too hard. And well, let's talk about that because this is something that people have said a lot about Banished in the reviews and in Twitter, and I even said that in some of my early tweets that this is a game where you know people are people are dying a lot. And we mentioned the casualty rate, and you know you can lose how you can lose a third of your town uh, if you're not paying attention, and it really is an early game problem. Um, so why do you think a lot of people are focusing on that instead of sticking through and realizing that once you figure out, because Cassandra's right, you know, once you she probably clued in earlier than I did, uh, <laughs> that really the important thing is get that steady food supply going first. And once that's up and running and strong, you're pretty much set, right? I think, sorry, but I think the biggest problem here is that a lot of people go in to check the storage barns or the first instinct is to build farms. And farms don't provide sufficient yield. Like I just straight up got two gatherer huts and one hunter's lodge plopped it in the corner and my troubles were basically over by the time that was done. 
I think I think you're right, Cassandra. That was the strategy that I did first off, and it just seemed to work uh, early on. I mean, eventually, then you diversify into into farms, and then the orchards. Once you can acquire more uh, seeds from the traders, which we should get into at some point, but then also yeah. the um, uh, uh, livestock is a huge thing. Once you're able to get all of the cattle, sheep, and chickens, you're basically on the gravy train uh, as far as having a food supply. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe a little bit. You know, and I, and I think... I actually had good luck in the town that I just made. I made a farm first thing, full farm, filled it with corn, and that was my main source of food. I think it has more to do, or maybe not more to do, but I think it has a lot to do with uh, how far your citizens have to walk in those first few years. Like, if you have a lot of good space immediately between for your houses and your storage and your food... I think that makes a huge difference because I started another game where I promptly died because I tried to like get a perfect spot to build those first houses and then they were walking too far. Oh, I see. So you tried to, you basically expanded too early? Not necessarily expanded. Basically when when I try to pick where I want to like focus my housing, I look for a spot that can be easily surrounded by a market. Um, mm. so I, you know, find a, a fairly clear area that takes up an entire screen on full zoom out and, uh, try to keep all my houses within that area. And that was not at my starting area. So, uh, I tried to build houses like way far away from where the storage was. And then the farms were in a different place. And then the, uh, I built the, my food supply too late and, uh, yeah, it was just there was way too much walking early on, and I think that might be a slightly under underappreciated aspect of yeah, you really do where need the to have like a town from. center. You know, the idea that right. like you know everything is is very close together initially, and then once you have a large enough town and you have a, a high enough population, then you start having other populations. Like a, you know, I had a town that has about six hundred adults, I think, in it, and I ended up having three or four markets throughout the all different like centers around the entire map yeah i, I was here. getting to that point with my three to four hundred population town go ahead cassandra oh, i was just going to say same here okay yeah the whole I mean, markets for people who haven't played the game they are resource centers or instead of going to a storage barn or a storage lot to pick up things our market is the central location where people can get everything they need or want uh and they cover quite a big zone and this is a game that in many ways reminds me of so many games um but its combination of zone areas and uh walkers puts it in kind of it's a very it's a very impressions like game in yeah. some ways because the walker model is very important if you're walking too far people aren't going to get served people aren't going to get well, they'll get served. They'll get served by nature. Nature just serves you. Uh, that, but they're not. But they're not going to get the tools they need. They're not going to get to work in time. They still have to go to sleep. I guess. I'm not sure why people go to their houses because there's no day-night cycle, really. They do um, seem to pick up food from their houses, or there's storage in their houses okay. too. You have to go to the houses to, to 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 leave things there, and it's quite. Um, a nice simple model uh, this is uh, immediately the game that came to mind was uh, Children of the Nile uh, from Tilted Mill my favorite uh, strategy game favorite city builder uh, of all time and it kind of feels a bit like that with the education model uh, and the um, um, 
you know what I'm talking about, the the Walker system. Um, but one thing um, that is back to the whole pedophile thing, uh, <laughs> but in a different angle, it's the jobs aren't permanent. So, you know, when I saw you see, I need a physician. Maybe a 12-year-old physician. Well, I got a Dookie Hauser in my town. <laughs> you know, you just take a laborer, and whatever laborer, whatever job is free, the laborer just takes it. Um, so there's no sense of specialization. I think this is part of the, Cassandra referred to the lack of personality and character, and not really, these are people just just names or numbers to you. I think that might have been, that's probably part of one reason why I feel the same way, that there was no sense that this was my doctor. This was the guy sitting in the doctor's chair that day. I agree, definitely. But it is kind of entertaining as well. Like one of the things I really did enjoy about Banish, ironically, was that really weird, fluid profession system. A hard winter is coming, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to build something else. I pull people out of different professions. I move them around. Yeah. Food supply goes down, and it's everything switching up and down. I feel a little bit like conductor. It completely oh. breaks immersion for me, but it can be entertaining. I got the feeling that it was like an anarchist commune simulation, in part because it doesn't have money. <laughs> Um, but that was a big breakthrough when I realized that it was so important that it didn't have money um, because it made like huge parts of the game seem a lot clearer. Uh, but that that also kind of goes along with the job system where it's like everyone's a laborer when they're not doing anything. And then you just say, you know, you're going to be the teacher and they work as a teacher for as best they can. And I don't know how good that's going to be. And that can switch in and out, but there's a kind of a feeling of like, they drew straws to see who would become the new, the new, whatever. Um, and until you get a physician and a teacher to some extent, most of the jobs are not really, uh, not really supremely like specialized. This, this, this game doesn't have like an extra level level of, uh, um, I don't know, bureaucratic uh, specialization on top. Where yeah, somebody... no, there, no, no, no tax collectors right. to worry about, no mayor you need, no generals. You have teachers and blacksmiths and clerics and doctors. That's as high as you get generally. Everyone else is not, thinking, not saying fisherman isn't a specialized job. I'm from the East Coast. I know fishermen work damn hard. But fishermen are, uh, you know, it's, but it's, they're, it's something that a settlement population would have been expected to have your ability to fish. So Right. So, so then when you combine this with the lack of money um, and then just the title of the game, uh, which it basically I guess the premise is you were banished from some medieval kingdom and you're going out into the wilderness to make your own. Um, well, um, anyway, the, the combination of the uh, sort of themes and the mechanics there I think is really effective in a way that a game with a bare minimum of any kind of writing whatsoever mm -hmm. can put together um, not necessarily just a story but kind of a tone of uh, you know a people trying to build something totally new out in the middle of nowhere and I almost I, wish I, that, I, that, I, that theme was used more um, because yeah. that, that's the big thing that I was found missing in the game that there was no soul to it. There's no, not I don't necessarily need a story or lots of writing, but there's other than the title, there's no, nothing, no character to this game whatsoever. Um, and I think that 
means that you could put your own story onto it, and maybe that's what the creator was intending. But as Cassandra said, I mean, you don't do that either. You just kind of end up playing a numbers game, which is fun in a certain extent. But I wish that there was more of a, a, a overt message behind it than anything else. I mean, there's kind of this conservation idea that, like, you know, you have to be, you know, uh, respectful of nature and all that stuff. But it really depends a lot on the player to connect those dots and make up meaning and story to it um, more, more than more than really should be. I, I wish there was more to it than that. And I, that's why in my review, I mentioned this game is almost crying out for, for mods. If there, yeah. if there was a community behind this game that was making specific, you know, models, I mean, the, the buildings get boring after a while. Like the, I mean, build the same house, you know, multiple hundreds of times. You know, if there was just more variety and more character, uh, I think it would go a long way. I find a lot of joy in weather. That's just like a huge amount of personality for me in games. And Banished has great weather. I love watching it snow. I love watching it rain. Um, it's got nice weather. So it really does. I don't. I, I don't necessarily know that I would. I wouldn't necessarily use the word personality or soul as what's missing. But I do feel like there is a a overarching narrative type meaning to it that uh it could really use because it's it's like great to like play for a few hours but i don't really feel compelled to go back like there's no there's no like i really need to go and do the next thing because there is no next thing there's just you know slow expansion not even i mean the achievements it was something that for a while i was like oh i can you know get an achievement to you know have a town that has uh eight different crops going eight different crops going at the same time and that kind of stuff and those those motivated me to a certain extent and that meant you know getting a a town up to its population size of 300 and then 500 but beyond that there's very little driving the player to continue playing after a few hours like you said ron i agree I don't know. Personally, Banish makes me really excited for Clockwork Empires because it feels like a prototype for that game. I don't know about that. Yeah, Clockwork Empires is the city builder coming from the steampunk city builder, coming from Gaslamp Games uh, later this year, which is, and they have the best, the very best uh, dev diaries uh, <laughs> on the internet. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that come out. Uh, Who writes those? Pardon? Who writes those? Uh, one of the devs. Oh, I, I thought you were subtly plugging yourself there, Troy. <laughs> no, no, Gaslamp Games, not Paradox. God, I, <laughs> now, my, my dev diaries are more edited than uh, actually written. Um, now, Rowan, you said there's no money, but there kind of is, and that's in the, in the trading system where goods are valued, right. and some goods are valued more than others. Let's talk about the trading system and how useless it is. <laughs> I don't know about useless, but it, it has very specific uses. Um, basically, when you start a new game of Banish, depending on what level you're at, easy, medium, or hard, you have a certain narrow amount of seeds and probably no livestock unless you start on easy. And the only way to get seeds for new different varieties of crops and get that livestock is from traders. And traders will only barter with you. So you don't make money. Um, you just try and get as much of whatever, it, cash crop is not the right word, but whatever, whatever crop or item you're able to exploit, you fill that 
uh, you take that and you fill up the trading post with it. For me, it was usually herbs uh, or medicine from the herbalist. Uh, those oh, seem to be le really le easy to get. And le leather coats. People like leather coats. People like leather coats. I never had a hunter that was really like strong enough to consistently provide leather coats. Uh, firewood, I eventually got some cities that were really good at producing. So, you know, you fill that up, and these, those seeds and those livestock are, cost a lot of money, or cost a lot of barter exchange. So, like... Bitcoins. Yes, trading points, whatever. Like, each thing is weighted. Like, uh, medicine is, like, for each piece of medicine you have, you could get three of... Uh, three meals of corn and then tools are like for each tool you have you can get 15 meals of corn um and then the seeds are like 2500 of those uh unless you specifically order them in which the case they're 3200 barter points or whatever and uh so like once you start doing that or the first time you try to do that it's really difficult to start getting your livestock going and start getting a higher variety of seeds but eventually it becomes kind of irrelevant because at, once you get past a few hundred people i think the, the game if you're unless something really weird happens your city does kind of run itself and if you're forced to go get things from traders at that point then uh you're obviously weak in your city anyway and can and should be attempting to fix that uh, so you, that you can become self-sustaining because the traders are so, somewhat random. They're very random. And I actually, I kind of enjoyed that. Maybe it was maybe the most immersive part of the game for me because there were a few winters where I was running low on firewood or food. And lo and behold, a very handy, lucky merchant showed up that was able to save my town, you know, and, and that happened a, a few times over the course of a you know, hundred year game. Um, so I actually kind of enjoyed that maybe more so just for those specific moments. Um, but it is very difficult in the early going, trying to figure out how to get that first seed, and how to get that first livestock. Um, because as I think Troy was hinting at, some stuff is weighted more than others. And food is not something that you can trade with, with the seed merchant, when the seed merchant comes around and the resource merchant, because the, there's different ones. The only one that's actually really useful, especially in the early game, is the general goods merchant, which trades in any, anything. Um, but because it's random and you don't get to choose you know, who's coming to your town next, and it may be a year or two before you even see another merchant, um, you know, it can feel like the player's not really in control. So in some ways it can be good, and that randomness sometimes can feel very... Uh, restrictive in, in the gameplay. There's a... Uh, I think it also increases the number of different crops and the... the or number of different trade options and the uh, frequency which traders arrive, depending on... I'm pretty sure it's how big the town is, although it could just be time. So there's kind of this idea that uh, uh, you know, 10 years in when you build your first trading post then eventually one guy who sells one thing decides to say hey let's go see what the pedophile colony is up to see if they have anything good to trade for and so they're like 90 percent of the time they're useless they show up once every 
uh, you know, every two or three years. And then eventually you're just getting constant traders who have everything and you can get everything you want, which is kind of a, it's annoying because you want that big variety of things immediately because you never know what's, you know, what is going to happen next winter. But it's also a, a good sort of like strategic element to uh, build up the town's, I don't know, the, the theme, like I said, the the whole uh, making it for yourself. Oh, I, and I remembered what I w- wanted to say uh, earlier that helped with that is that unlike most city builders, immigration is not the main way that you get new new people. Uh, until you build a town hall, the only way is through procreation. And uh, when you build a town hall, you can start bringing in batches of nomads when they show up randomly, kind of like the traders. But up until then, you really have to focus on making yourself self-sustainable instead of just building like huge rows of housing when you need more labor and just watching people show up and take jobs. You really have to kind of build with the rhythms of the game. Um, and I, I like that both thematically and strategically. Cassandra? I kind of wish the traders would actually sell things that I couldn't provide for myself in some ways. I mean, I know they're selling yeah. seeds and livestock and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, my mushrooms and my onions and my roots, they're going to do as well as anything that the traders can bring in. Like, it'd be kind of neat if they sold recipes. Like, this is how you build a new kind of building. This is how you improve health or... This levels up your hospital. I mean, it doesn't really fit into the scope of the game, but that's how I feel about the traders. They're nice to have, just irrelevant. I feel the same way that, you know, once you have, as, as John Rona said, once you have, you know, a couple of seeds and some livestock, the traders and your city is running on its own. Your traders, they show up and you've got no, they've got nothing you really, really need. I made it through the last winter. I can make it through the next one. Thanks. Take your pile of corn somewhere else uh they don't bring any luxury goods that make people happy they don't bring anything special or unique to your town uh so i'm trading with a place there's no comparative advantage trade thing going on here this isn't like the caesar games where some cities have iron and some cities don't and i can build shields and you can't so i can sell you shields so we can trade but you can give me wine because i can't grow wine in this territory I'm always trading with places that are apparently very, very much like mine, <laughs> except they went to the seed catalog and they got pump- they ordered pumpkins and I ordered wheat. And they won't buy my wheat, but I can buy their pumpkins. Uh, I guess they don't have any trappers there because I got to get my leather coats or something. Uh, but there's there, there's whole self-sufficiency kind of clashes with the trade model after a while. Well, I don't think the intent for the designer was to make it a really a trade-heavy game. I think it was made... Right. I think as Roman sure. was saying, it was meant to be more of a thematic, like, oh, hey, they'll come and bring new stuff into your into your town, but you can't depend on them. You have to make, be as self-sufficient as possible. Although I was toying with the idea, and I never got to actually test this out in one of my towns, but I was toying with the idea of not building any uh, mines or quarries and instead going full, like, hunter and forester and only trading wood and you know, warm coats once I'm able to have them in order to trade for the resources that I need, like iron and stone. I think that might be possible. I felt like, um, to kind of go with the whole sustainability idea, like once you get a really big city, it might become a lot more efficient to trade your, uh, 
renewable resources for the non-renewable resources of mm-hmm. the iron and stone because uh, apparently once you take you finish off the stone in a quarry or take all the coal or iron out of a mine, they still stay there. That's what it says. I've never actually finished that. Oh, yes, they do. They do. I, in one of my towns, I had yeah. like four empty quarries that were, were done. Uh, and um, it's that's annoying. I mean, unless you plan out ahead of time that like, okay, this area is going to be devoted to quarries and, you know, I won't be able to build anything else there. Uh, it, it, I, and I wonder if that's kind of a subtle point that the designer was trying to make, trying to make it renewable resources versus yeah. non-renewable I ones. Think, I think there was actually a lot more planned for the game like that because when I was first introduced to it last summer um there was talk of how like if you build too many fisheries you run out of fish and then your your people are going to starve so i feel like there was there was a lot more of uh kind of the ecological sustainability idea going on that only partially made it into the finished product possibly because that kind of thing seems really hard to program every time someone says they're going to program something like that it never ends up quite working I was going to ask about that because there is some language in the in-game wiki, which I think is actually one of the best in-game wikis for a strategy game. Yeah, we should talk about that. Um, but it, uh, it did say that like crops would start to diminish in their yield if you kept farming on them for multiple years in a row. I didn't notice that modeled at all. Did, did anyone else? Not me. I, I mean, it could have, but... Uh there's no real indication of that and if it's buried in the wiki then uh there wouldn't be an indication of it um but uh yeah i think maybe we should have talked about this first but i think banished is really really good at teaching and training you to play it how it wants to be played like it's it's like just within the tutorial within five ten minutes i was just like this is exactly what i want to see in this game right now and it's like the developer has like really honed the idea of making sure that its players are getting their questions answered immediately. Um, this manifested in two ways. Uh, like when it was teaching me how to do labor, uh, it said, here you can click on the building and you can add laborers this way. Or you can go to the labor screen, just as I was thinking, is there a screen that lets me see the whole thing at once and I can adjust things from there? And then immediately that was what it said. And then the wiki is really well hyperlinked, like the in-game or the in-game help really, but um, you click on whatever aspect you want to look at and then everything that might be related, you can click on and it's really clearly written and uh for a game that seems initially complex i think it's it does a fantastic job of training the player did you see anything missing cassandra when you were playing it for his help and advice i'm going to have to guiltily admit that i neither did the tutorial nor did i read through the help files there are four towns dead and buried as a result of that (laughs) 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 but you did all right because you ended up doing better than us to begin with right it took four towns worth of very, very dead people. Let's just leave it at that. But yeah, I, I'll agree with Rowan. The game teaches you how it wants to be played. I started out by raising forests, and after a while, I was like, well, now what do I do? I'm out of wood. And every time I try to send somebody out to another forest, they freeze and die along the way back. 
It's like, oh, so there's a forest there. It kind of makes wood as you. It sounds vaguely perverted, but kind of creates lumber as you destroy it and stuff like that. And you start building on that. And when the first tornado showed up, I was like, okay, I probably should have a second storage barn a little bit further away from my town central. And yeah, Banish is really good at forcing you to do what it wants you to do, except in a good way. I wish it had a few more cues. I mean, the tutorial, I mean, the, the in-game help is great. Uh, the, I mean, as far as in-game help goes. I mean, it's not very long, but it's not a very complicated game. But I kind of wish there were a few more cues telling me, hey, you should pay attention to this in your city. Like, all of your houses are full. Why don't you build another one so this 30-year-old can get out of the basement? Um, your food supply, your, if, if the fields do, in fact, deteriorate, uh, and don't produce the same amount of food year after year after year for one reason or another. We're not sure that is actually in there, but if that is in there, I'm pretty sure there's no cue to tell me that. Yeah. I have to remember somewhere in my head, oh, last year I got this much yield, and this year I'm only getting this much yield. And I have to think, is that because I moved the guys onto the farm too late, or is there something wrong with the farm? Um, little cues here and there to remind me that there's something going on in my city I need to take care of. Um, beyond the little things at the very bottom saying, hey, you're running out of iron. Hey, you're running out of food. And it's just a tiny little sound cue at the bottom, and it's noticeable enough, especially when someone dies, and you get a little cross and a sad little music sting. But there's little status things before you build the town hall, instead of going through a million different menus and looking for it. I mean, I'm a strategy gamer. I, should be able, I shouldn't be afraid of looking in menus and ledgers for things. But I sometimes think I want a few more cues here and there. And am I, am I selfish for wanting that? I don't think so, Troy. I mean, I think there's definitely a, a balance between too much information and not enough. And I think, in general, Banish does a pretty good job of providing the information yeah. you need to make, you know, to, to survive. But you're right. It doesn't give you the kind of double dial down information that that like that. But there is one thing I don't know if you noticed. There is a, and each uh, food producing building is a button that will let you see what the previous year's or right. season's yield was. It just doesn't go back farther and farther and farther. Um, but I also did like once you build the town hall. In addition to allowing nomads to come into your town. Uh, you get these wonderful census yeah. graphs and you yeah. know, the ability to kind of see trends. And it, it it feels very strategy gamer focused, you know, and that like, oh, here I can actually see everything that's happened over the past, you know, the history of my town, which is it's kind of interesting. I like that it was tied to a building that you built, you know, like the town yeah. hall that is its function is to provide that information for you. That's kind of neat to me. But where, where, where were they keeping this information before the town hall was built? <laughs> where was this magic book before they built the town hall? It's where they have the job board that tells them where to turn into builders and when to turn into fishermen. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I get it. Um, but no, I, I mean, I guess you're, you're right to a certain extent is that there's not stuff telling you the higher level things that are going on. When your cities get large, things can, you end up in, a, if, if, when a death spiral starts, it would be nice to have a little signal of maybe some hints as to where the problem is besides I'm running out of food. It's, that might not be a food problem. That could just mean I'm an idiot and may have my labor allocated wrong. Um, it could be people are taking too long to get someplace uh, because of distance, which is a problem. Um, a few cues here and there uh, wouldn't necessarily hurt, I think. But, but that's just me. I'm selfish. I'm also old. 
it, it kind of depends on what exactly the issue is. Um, yeah. I do think that the people are taking too long to get where they need to go issue is not terribly well done. But um, I think there's a general uh, implication in Banished that if you don't have all of your simple systems figured out then the complex systems are going to start breaking down and i think it trains you pretty well at that mm-hmm. like you can you can start to see hey i don't have enough tools and my workers efficiency just plummeted and they have all those icons above their heads that say yeah we need a tool um but the walking distance thing i think <laughs> <laughs> but the walking distance thing is undervalued i feel I think the, uh, that was a big, big problem for me once my town got very large was that I had, you know, 40,000 food in the bank, but my people were starving <laughs> because they were laborers and they were cutting down a forest you know, at the very southern end of the map, but they actually lived at the northern end of the map. And that's where the fluid profession system kind of breaks down because if you're constantly moving – and I, I like the fluid – professional system too for the reasons that you guys said it felt like you were actually orchestrating you know the needs of the town and putting people where they were needed but when it gets so big it's the simulation does not correctly model how people be people's behaviors really really will be you know like if someone's hungry they don't have to walk all the way back to their house to get the thing they should go to the nearest place or the nearest storage barn to get food if that's what they need you know that kind of stuff yeah, there there were occasional issues like that where people would like they would be farmers carrying food back from the field and they would die of starvation on me <laughs> because they hadn't been able to get food, you know, five minutes before. Um, even though but they're five carrying apples. Is actually, apples, is actually a week in game time. So it's like, yeah, it's really hard to the simulation does kind of suffer once it gets to a certain size. I kind of wish that there was more information in the micro at that point. Like I was thinking about what you said about tools wearing out and stuff like that. I would actually like to see a graph that tells me um, its useful percentage and things like that. Um, the current happiness, how their health is currently functioning. I really wanted more numbers with banished. I mean, they were throwing a fair number of them, no pun intended, at me already. And I really want them more spreadsheets. Did anyone else want that? <laughs> you're, you're on the right podcast. If you want more spreadsheets, <laughs> this is the podcast for you. Because, you know, we love our I love our spreadsheets. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the town hall, I thought, generally gave me all the major information I needed. And once I had a blacksmith going, I just set the limit up to just, you just don't stop that you have 400 tools because we don't want to go through the what happened two summers ago when we ran out of tools and we couldn't cut down a tree in less than eight days. Because um, the lack of a tool really does slow everything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, build a blacksmith, guys. You're playing Banished. Build a freaking blacksmith pretty early uh, before you run out of iron. Sometimes uh, you'll need two or three. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there's, um, I was reasonably happy with the amount of information, uh, the, the spreadsheet level of it. But yeah, I... I think I would have, if I, if I cared more about the cities I was building, I might want to look dig a little bit deeper into the information. But there's the big problem with Banished, I think. I mean, I'm, because I don't like it, I actually like a lot of it. Um, as I'm asking most of the questions instead of, you know, <clears throat> giving a whole lot of opinions here, I actually like a lot of the game. But there was no sense of put, nothing to push me forward. 
I mean, it's a sandbox game, and I get that. And everyone here knows I love sandbox games. The idea of just give me something to play with. I mean, The Sims, one of my favorite games ever. Uh, I love the sandbox setting, all the impressions games. But there was always something to build towards. Build a wonder. Ha- build a palace. Um, my characters have aspirations and goals and things that they want to do. Or tiny little in-game missions uh, to push me forward. Or as... Sandra said with the trade, I can only get this resource if I create this other thing to trade. So now I have to focus on making wheat so I can get the wine. Otherwise, I can't get the wine. That's something I can't get to on my own. So these little things that make this, that drive a city builder forward, it is almost too sandbox in that it's just the sand and a few little blocks and as adorable as those blocks are, um, no matter how creepy the marriages get, that's a very adorable game. Uh, I like I like the look of it. I like the art. The Enhanger game help, and I think that there's a really great design under here. I just wanted something. I wanted something to drive me. Does that make sense? Yeah. The I think the game basically lives and dies on its difficulty, um, because there aren't those things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't right. have a constant crisis, or maybe not even a crisis, but a constant, um, a constant, very near-term goal of you know increasing your food capacity or output, or making sure you get multiple blacksmiths going, uh, then it just like the motivation to play just plummets. And as as we discussed earlier, the difficulty can vary a lot. Like, I've had some towns that I couldn't get above 60 people, and some towns that, uh, like this one that I did, that I had enough food to expand five times over before I even had the people. Um, so, it it's, like, done a really good job of creating a system where, when it works ideally, it's just mesmerizing for what's on screen and only on screen. But as soon as that starts to break down, then it becomes, why aren't there crazy achievements for, you know building six foresters without ever chopping down a tree on your own or something like that. I think the achievement system that is in there is a bit, like I said earlier, it's a bit motivating for me, like just, you know, increasing the size of my town, getting up to a thousand is a goal I still have, but uh, there's not, that's not sexy enough. I think is what Troy was (laughs) kind of getting at. You know what I mean? You're not, there's no um, end game at all. uh, So that, I had a town that was big and I could have expanded it more, but I would be doing the exact same thing that I had just been doing for the last 10 hours, just more of it. And that didn't motivate me at all. Uh, So I I agree. I think there's just, there's something that doesn't feel like you're pushing the, the, the right pleasure buttons or enough of a varied pleasure buttons in order to make me want to keep playing. There are always, there's always the modding community. Hopefully they'll find Banish and do great things with it. Yeah. It, is, is this game set up to be super moddable? I haven't seen a whole lot Probably about not. it. It seems like it could be. I'm hoping so. I'm just hoping so. It's wishful thinking. Don't mind me. Yeah. I, I, you're not the only person. I mean, Greg specifically said it. And, yeah. Uh, I, I feel... I, it probably isn't. and It's probably why it's not in there to begin with. But this is something that would benefit from, from Steamworks and having people kind of stuff into it but i think as far as i know i think it's actually just one person who is developing this game yeah yeah, yeah. which is a feat unto itself i mean let's let's face it this guy was very very good at figuring out what he wanted to make 
realizing that he needed to have an end goal and he couldn't keep adding all these features that we're asking for and instead decided to polish the stuff that was there. And I think that's laudable for an an independent developer to be like, okay, I can only make this game and I'm going to make this the best game that it can be. And of course we're, we're selfish as Troy was saying, and we want more and more and more. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I think it's kind of cool that he was able to do this. Agreed. If you, if you read his website, uh, his his blog posts are very much focused on the minutia of how to program um this is it's like it indicates a game that is um like it kind of it's kind of like a programmer's dream this is the game i wanted to make i made it i all the systems interact all of it goes together um but then there's you know there's no like director on the other side saying but what does it mean and i it sometimes it doesn't really need that but I think generally does. Uh, there is one thing that I thought of that could be a, a fun metagame to do with it is uh, to play with the random seed and find, you know, the hardest possible uh, random Ooh. seed you can find and pass that to your friends. Uh, kind of like a Splunky Daily Challenge, but uh, right. a little bit more manual because you can type in the random seed directly. How did you guys find the map uh, generator in general? Good. <laughs> Ambivalent. I didn't, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really experiment with it very much. Um, it's that with only rivers, hills, and, uh, you know, flatland, there's not a whole lot that can be done with it. Um, but I think in general, it had coherent looking maps that would occasionally have terrain based challenges. And, and as I said, uh, sometimes that, that randomness of the, the initial start could be, uh, a little deterministic. But, that's that's just a theory I'm working with right now. I'm not entirely certain. That could have just been me being too quirky. No, I think I think I can corroborate that theory. I mean, I, I started a few games last night on the hard setting just to kind of feel it out. Um, but there, you know, when you're restricted in your area where you can build from the get-go, that increases the difficulty substantially. So it's yeah, where yeah. you're starting. You don't want to. You can't really up. Like you know, it's not like Civilization where you can kind of pick where your starting town is going to be. You really can't do that in this uh, in Vanished because where you are to start uh, is where you are to start. And if that starting area sucks, then you're almost better off dealing with the challenge and making that the game, or you know, starting a new seed. Um. I'm actually reading through the website right now, and it looks like the tool that the um, developer used was described as the perfect mod tool for Banished. And while he says he's really, really looking forward to seeing people fix and tweak the game, he mentioned that there will be no way to change behaviors or add new ones or create new UI behaviors. So I wonder what you guys think about that. I think those are the things that are probably the best about the game as it is, other than occasional big city behavior quirks. Um, that that seems fine by me. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in you know more buildings, more kind of varied art style, that kind of stuff. That I, I I'm not a, you're, I think I agree with that, Ronan. That I'm not as interested in how they can change the the, the UI behaviors because that's that's the core of the game, and then being able to change that makes it feel like it would be a completely different game. Yeah, the the main the main. The main thing where that might get in the way of it being uh, more complex is if the basic UI behaviors that can't be changed includes that uh, you can't add more city or more different types of buildings. Like the the number of different types of buildings available at the start yeah. is it, and that 
that could be constraining. Well, I think that one can be changed. Like he's mentioning things like he wants to see an apiary that has beekeepers or a baker who can take honey, eggs, milk, and flour and make honey cakes. It's more along the lines of the fact that we won't be able to make them get drunk and have fights with one another or <laughs> run off and fight wolves and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Wolves are something I think would actually be a good addition to the game. Um, I don't know if that would work with the behavior, but the forests are kind of overpowered because you mm -hmm. drop a gatherer, yeah. a forester, and an herbalist in the middle of a forest, and, you know, you have, like, basically sustainability at a certain level. Uh, just So if you do a couple of those, but if there were wolves who require, made you uh, less able to do that or would interrupt your hunters or whatever, then... That that was like one of the very first things I thought of. This game needs wolves. It does. It does need some sense of environmental danger. I mean, you're banished to this harsh, forgiving landscape. Hey, you can starve to death, but except for the occasional tornado or earthquake, they're very, very rare. Um, there's not a lot of sense of nature being an enemy, or like there aren't really famines. I think I'm going back to Children of the Nile. Uh, children of the Nile, some days, some years the Nile just doesn't flood. And so you have to deal with a year where you're going to have a bad harvest. But there is some and of how that. Do you, how do you cope with that? It's not a lot, it's not as, is there? And not as much. If, when it gets below freezing or when it snows, your crops will die if they haven't been harvested. So if you get two early winters oh, yeah. in a row yeah. and you're very farm dependent, right. then that right. can trigger a famine. See, See, I, I thought that was just my guys being slow walkers and leaving the dead plants, leaving the free frozen plants there because the winter, this, is this an early winter or are these late workers? I, I mean, it could be both, but... Uh, see, I, see, I, I, but if I have no way of knowing... Did, did, did you not play like, with the, the basic, uh, the basic um, information screen includes what, what season it is? So it says early okay. autumn, autumn, late autumn. Okay. Um, so that, that I, I had that one open pretty permanently. And... Yeah, see, I did not. I, I often leave that one off, and I probably should leave it on. Uh, I, 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 just go by the, I just go by the season. I just go by the environment. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it could be an early winter. I said those were those are good clues, but I mean, I constantly was checking that because that had like all of your resources, whether your, your, you know, your tools were depleting quickly. Um, but to follow up uh, what you were saying about disasters, I, I, I think that they should have been much more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, and and varied. I mean, there was infestations and the occasional diseases. But if you had a doctor, your diseases were gone like instantly, and it didn't really feel like a full-on plague. It didn't feel very much like you know. I think cholera went around in my town. One person got it, then he was healed, and that was it. And in order to to feel. Mo like it was modeling what I think is trying to model. Uh, there should have been more. There should have been more tornadoes. I mean, we don't have to do the SimCity style, you know, lizard attacks or anything like that. But more yeah. would have been. I I had one fire that was really devastating because it hit my central market. Um, but other than that, right. yeah, the disasters generally didn't really affect anything other than how quickly my population could grow if they took out a few too many houses. Not that true. But, you know, maybe given how sensitive the cycle is, maybe he just didn't want to penalize you too much. Like a, a collapsed mine, for example, would shut down your town pretty much. It means that the entire town's pretty much gone. 
uh, if your mine collapses, or if there's a forest fire that takes out your gatherer and your hunterer, uh, or whatever. Something like that would be actually kind of neat. And have to de- I don't know how you would deal with a forest fire. Probably can't. Though the old growth would be freaking awesome once it came back. Um, you're kind of there's this. Not that it's not a danger, but if there, if, there, if if the if the conceit is you're banished to a hostile wasteland and you've got to make the most of it, and if this is Sim Jamestown, um, there has to be a little bit more pushback beyond my own screw-ups. And I guess. If, especially, I guess. In, especially in the late game. I mean, that's what yeah. we're, we're all talking right. about, yeah. how yes. the game just peters out because there's no adversity. There's nothing to really fight against except your own choices. You know, sometimes that's those are devastating. Like, I sure. I accepted a nomad in, infestation <laughs> of about of more than 100. In, no, in, no, nomad infestation? <laughs> what, what kind of anti-immigrant thoughts are <laughs> these? They were terrible because right? I, I ended up regretting it almost immediately because they, they took up all my tools and they took up all my warm coats. And then a winter struck. And I was like, that was the stupidest thing to accept into a town that was not ready for it. You know, 100 new people who didn't have... Anything they weren't educated, you know. I didn't. They weren't. They didn't go through my school system. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, and but that was my own choice, and I felt like that was right. that was right. interesting and fun. But sure, sure. You know, I think you're right that the game needed to, to to throw more adversity that wasn't your own choice at you, unless that was his specific philosophy, and he didn't want to do that. Which is perfectly well. It's really making we're still free to criticize. Yeah. You can deal with us and make a different choice. Uh, but yeah, and it's uh, the game has a lot of very neat systems, and I understand wanting to not screw too much of those up with a random event because we all remember games where random events just really there's too many of them, and it takes away anything you're trying to build any sense of progress. Yeah, the uh, um, like I said, the. There seemed to be a lot more of an environmental sustainability thing going on that may have just been impossible to put in. But if that is there and you can, you know, overfish your rivers, then uh, that right. would that would be something that would be there. So that this is the game might have been I don't know about rushed, but uh, it might have been compromised in certain ways for probably perfectly understandable reasons, but mm-hmm. that could have damaged the end game i think i think what we're really just talking about is the scope the scope of this game is very limited mm-hmm. and in some ways that that's good because he was able to perfect you know that's that scope but i i we're all wishing there was more there was more there it's certainly a great foundation for um either an expansion uh we've mentioned the modding community or something new from Shining Rock Software. I mean, we talked about uh, Pandora here on the podcast last time than Banished is, but still has, you know, some rough edges uh, that need to be ironed out before it becomes, can stand as a really, really excellent, amazing strategy game we can recommend unreservedly. Uh, I think Banished is kind of at that level, maybe a little bit lower. There's a, There are a lot of neat things going on here. I do like the brown and the green of it. I do like the forced stuff. Um, it's just, there's, there isn't an end game. There's an early game and a mid game. And there's nothing to push beyond that except get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. And I think there's, it doesn't have enough of that oh, we're going to keep throwing things at you. Like a good, like a great Sim, Sim City, perfect sandbox game you built a really, really big city, and neat stuff would still be happening. 
you don't really have that once you get to a certain size because the cities do run themselves so smoothly. If you can get past that mid-game hump. Now, if only Banished was multiplayer and in these towns were actually connected over the internet, and and you know, <laughs> then they could trade goods back and forth with each other and have build towards a great wonder. I mean, this Stop would be that. the perfect game. Stop that. <laughs> it's not very nice. It's a terrible thing to say. I'm sorry, I, EA. But, but though I think that actually kind of works here. Oh, not you um, too. Because <laughs> it's not necessarily in that exact form, but. Uh, just the sort of city builder this is is kind of the total reverse of what sim city last year attempted to do um where this just wants to be a really narrowly focused single thing where you build your little mm -hmm. village out of nothing and um where sim city was just like it was bloat from the beginning like the information it gave is like here's the entire chart section none of these charts relate to anything related to the game but they're really cool and well designed <laughs> um, so i feel like if you take a game like banished and put it into a um you know an online ecosystem or whatever that would work but SimCity never actually right. worked as a game so you couldn't connect it to anything else in any other way um, I don't know how a multiplayer banished would work necessarily but I do think that some sort of some sort of idea kind of like you know when you start a new game in Dwarf Fortress and it generates an entire world and you pick where on the world you want to try to go like I would kind of like a sort of world in banished that maybe I could invite other people or email them the seed and we could like you know build towns on other side of the, of the mountains or whatever but uh yeah there, there's enough here that a meta game would be of some kind uh could do wonders whereas sim city was all meta game and no game no wonders great i think we've pretty much talked this out uh, any final thoughts on banish will you guys be going back to it or are you pretty much finished I think I'm mostly done with it. I might try to hit the achievements, but that's about the extent of it. I think, as Cassandra said, it's got kind of a good Zen Garden feel, and there might be times when I just want to, like, hear the little tink-tink-tinks of the my miners going, and uh, just let that run for a while while I'm, you know, maybe half paying attention to something else. Or, uh, And I'll definitely be keeping an eye on whether it gets uh, Steamworks mods or just mods in general and uh what kind of updates it has but um it does get hard to motivate myself to go back again and again i think i'm i think i'm pretty much done as well i mean i i put about a good 20 or 30 hours into it and had a really hard crash where i was <laughs> like you know what i'm done and <laughs> once that switch yeah. went off i i you know i'm very I mean, maybe I'll I'll check it out when when if if and when new things kind of pop up. But for, as it is right now, I think I've played it out and I've gotten the systems, and I, I don't really feel like continuing. Also, and this is something I, I we didn't touch on really at all. I just want to kind of briefly mention is that my computer is is not new. It's like four or five years old, but it started to really chug uh, after a the population level got to a certain height. And that really diminished my my joy in the game too, because you know, I, like I was saying, I was playing at the ten times speed, and when that speed was, you know, getting like ten frames per second, uh, it started to really just annoy me so much that I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, that's why Dwarf Fortress has like the two hundred dwarf cap, even though there are no graphics to it. The calculations were 
so intense that it would ruin your game once you started getting up of several dozen dwarves. And I think that's what what would happen here, and is also part of the reason why the pathing issues became so so broken at the higher levels is that this the, the processing power and the the programming starts to break down after a while. Um, one thing that I think is kind of worth mentioning is that this might not be a bad thing, you know, that we play for 20 yeah. or 30 hours. That's about how much I played as well. Um, you know, it's a $20 game, so it's not trying to be, you know, a $60 game that's going to come and take over your life. It's an indie city builder that you will play until you kind of figure it out. And it's it's got like a good, good kind of um, constrained scope to just the amount of time that it demands of you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know as strategy gamers that we should feel like every game needs to be playable for the rest of our lives, but right. uh, maybe not. You're definitely right there, Ryan. I definitely feel like it felt like that being able to put it to bed was kind of a uh, pleasurable feeling. It was like, yep, I got my enjoyment. Time, time to move on to something else. Well, that about wraps it up uh, for Banished. You can read all of our guests' reviews at their places of publication greg's at uh, the escapist magazine rowan's at ign and cassandra's at usgamer.net uh, uh thank you all for being on the show thanks for having me. thanks for having us thank you and i'd like to thank uh, of course michael hermes our amazing sound engineer for taking our words and turning them into well not music but at least sorting <laughs> them out uh, and dealing with any sound issues uh, that may crop up michael you do great work and uh, i'd like to hope if rob listened to this get well soon dude so we can get moving on uh, the rest of the winter of wargaming i'm Troy goodfellow this has been episode 251 thanks for listening thanks very much Bye. That's all for now. <laughs>